0: Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to the Gentlemen's Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, as always, Jesse Collings. Joining me today, he's making his return to this wonderful platform. Uh, He's... He's our, uh, he, I told him he would get a free, uh, Dunkin' Donuts coffee as a two time guest. That's what all two time guests get on this show. He wanted a shirt, but I said, the best I can do is I can give you, uh, one free Dunkin' Donuts coffee. Uh, he's our neighbor to the north, is Mr.
0: Warren Hayes. Warren, how are you doing today? I'm doing great because I'm going to get a free coffee. It, yeah, like, it's, I, I, it's... After I told you that, I looked it up. It turns out that I, I don't think Dunkin' Donuts is in Canada. No, you know, I, you know, I, what, you know, I wanted to get on the show and then, like, sort of, uh, afterwards, sort of, uh, tweak my demands a little bit because, yeah, you know, Dunkin' Donuts around at least in my part of the, 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 the Canadian scape is, uh, is completely gone. I mean, Tim Hortons is a juggernaut, man. Uh, it's tremendous. So you know, I was gonna, you know, try to exchange this for an equal value. A uh, cup of uh, cup of joe over at uh, at Tim's, and considering you know the 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 strength of the American dollar, I'd probably be able to sneak in maybe a box of uh, uh, ten timbits on top of that as well. So you know, I was ready. I was ready. I, you know, once we're done here, uh, yeah, let's get into the negotiations. Now, I may have revealed my hand right now, but um, yeah, you know, we'll have a talk after. I'll tell you what, I could go for some timbits. Sure, it, for, they're um... great.
1: For people who don't know, timbits are, are donut holes, or as we call them down here, munchkins.
0: Yeah. Yes, yes exactly. Did you, uh, do you remember, or did you even hear about the the, the cross promotion that uh, Tim Hortons did? I think it was last year with the uh, Justin Bieber. You're, have you, have
1: uh, heard no, this? no, I did not. That might that seems yeah, like they, that seems like big exclusive Canadian
0: news. I don't know if it would have trickled down to my to my part. Well, you know, considering how you know global and international old Justin is, um, I but listen. the, the they had they like they did a whole bunch of stuff, right? Um, and a whole bunch of merch, uh, because uh because Justin Bieber is Canadian, I guess. Um, and uh and one of the key elements that they were doing is that they created what we call what they called during the, this campaign, they called Tim Biebs. So Tim bits, but with a little extra something, a little a little extra oomph to them. Now you may ask. Warren, what is what was the extra oomph that these Tim Biebs had over your run of the mill, humdrum, uh, you know, rock station Timbits? Uh, well, I, I wish I could tell you because I went twice to three Tim Hortons within my vicinity, and this is to you know, no surprise to any Canadian living within a uh, uh, uh I was going to say a major metropolitan, but not even that major, just any metro, metropolitan area has you know a a swath, a swath of tim hortons like within within you know throwing a log distance kind of thing um so i went to three different tim hortons at three different occasions to try out these tim beebs and they were always sold out i was so- unable i was unable as a canadian to fulfill my true patriotic duty of Two of our greatest icons coming together into a into a legendary collaboration. I was unable to take to take part in that and support it. and I still carry the shame to this day. Yeah, did you consider like crying
1: at at the Tim Hortons? Did you to bring uh, a, bring a child along
0: to, to maybe shed some tears? I, you know, I did, sh- I did, sh- I myself shed some tears. I brought my my son with me on one of the excursions. He was completely unimpressed and neither was the cashier. Uh, You know, probably if I had been a, uh, a, a, you know, a petite girl <laughs> that would have swayed them a little bit, but uh, apparently it was a monster success. Look, they're doing, and they have merch. They had Tim Beebes merch, uh, beanies and, t- and they're all selling for ridiculous prices on eBay now. Yeah. Like, it's it, I feel it like, a crazy thing. I feel like they could have made more of them for you. Like, they're sold out? Like, I don't really believe that. Like, couldn't they just make you, more? Are you trying to say that maybe since I was a uh, a middle-aged white male, they were like, no, you are not? <laughs> You are not our our target audience here. I, uh, I, I, I'm not saying that. I'm thinking maybe
1: that the people that were there were like, we're not making any more Tim Tim we're done, We're done with that for t- today. But like, theoretically, wouldn't they possess the materials to make something? And you're like, hey, I'll wait.
0: I also buy into the idea of, you know, a manufactured scarcity, right? Where you're like, oh no, we're on all of it today. Come back tomorrow kind of thing, you know? And then you always come back. I'm sure there's a lot of people who went and you know ended up buying something anyway because they got there, right? And you're just like, oh well, give me a cruller. Or something. Yeah. Did you leave? Did you not buy anything? Yeah. No. I I I bolted. I'm 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 the kind of guy if I go to a place and they don't have the thing, I leave. Yeah. I true. I don't I I, I don't settle. I, there's no There's no consolation prize for me. I came to get Tim beads. Oh, you don't have any. Okay, thank you. Yeah. We had a, had a uh. Kind of like. A... I think it was, it was right before the pandemic,
1: there was a, a fascination hit the United States of America, and it was about the Popeye's
0: chicken sandwich. Do you guys have yes. Popeye's? Well, I, tell your story, and I'll tell you mine after. Okay, so – People, I'm sure most of our listeners, great
1: content so yeah, far. Yeah. Most of my listeners will, will be familiar with Popeyes, especially in the US. Like, so Popeyes, which is a fried chicken chain, they came out yes. with this, this new chicken sandwich. And it's really just a, a kind of a, a regular chicken sandwich, but it's, it's quite tasty. And it became kind of a, a phenomenon where everyone was trying to get it. It was a must have been hugely successful to the degree that if you were going to Popeyes, there was like, a 50% chance that they were going to be out of the sandwich. Sure. I I believe at one point they were offering, if you, if you brought your own bread, you could buy the sandwich. Like they, they had this, the the chicken for the sandwich, but they did not have the buns. So you could actually have the option to bring your own bun and they will give you the sandwich. (laughs) And it was this huge thing. And it was like, for whatever reason, they could not keep up with the demand. Um, And so it sounds like a similar thing was probably happening with these, uh, these Tim beeps. Um, did did you, did you partake in the Popeye's chicken sandwich craze? Did you have one? Um, I, so in, in, in at the peak of the craze, I, I, we don't, I don't really have a Popeye's really that close to me, especially they've actually built a few more that are closer to me. Um, but I did uh, during the peak of the, the, uh, craze, I did manage to convince uh, a work colleague of mine, uh, for us to, uh, to drive up about 45 minutes to the nearest Popeye's right. uh, in the middle of the work day to, to get some of the chicken sandwich. And so we did that. And of course we got there and it was sold out. And uh, oh. unlike you, Warren, I, I totally just bought a regular Popeye's meal and ate it there. Um, I was not, I was not deterred by the lack of sandwich, but I, so I, I never really actually had the sandwich at the height of the craze. I think once it kind of died down, I was able to get it. Um, okay. And I've had it several times since, and what do you uh, think of it? Oh, I think the sandwich is is is, is pretty good. Um, okay, it's not like the greatest chicken sandwich I've had, but it's probably my favorite chicken sandwich of a ch- of that chain restaurants
0: have produced. Right. They see uh, being the cultural juggernaut that it is, you know, uh, the, meaning you know American fast food chains. Uh, we were fully aware of the of the chicken sandwich uh, war that that occurred with Popeyes and you know and then everyone else joining in um but again in my in, in my environment where I am look if there's no Dunkin Donuts there's no Popeyes around here right but this you know this past summer 2023 I I, I go to Toronto for a forbidden door right mm-hmm. and and I'm walking down I think it's Young Street i whatever and I'm I'm walking downtown Toronto and I live and across the street from me I lift my eyes and there is a Popeye's right there. And okay, and I'm sitting, and and all of the hype just rushes over me, right? And I'm like, it's the greatest chicken sandwich ever made, so on and so forth. And it's, it's the best, and no one comes close. And I'm looking at it, and I'm in Toronto, right? A cultural culinary hotbed in Canada, right? There's, you know, there's there's a, a tremendous famous Chinatown there like i can sit down and i can have tonkatsu at any street corner for instance like, yeah, you can m- eat anything this melding of world cultures exactly and i'm standing in front of a popeyes and i'm like am i going to do this is this going to be like my lunch instead of just going to this this fantastic indian place that you know tandoori chicken right across the street anyway so i I go, I go in and, and, and I did have a Popeye's, um, chicken sandwich. And I'm going to tell you, I was not impressed and I don't know. I don't know if it's, um, you know, maybe the staff was having an off day, (laughs) you know, could be a lot of things. Is it maybe, you know, just the fact that the Canadian suppliers for this type of chicken patty, I guess, or breast or breaded chicken breast or whatever. Um, maybe they're not, uh, on the same level as in the U S maybe there's a, you know, uh, maybe we can't find the exact same formula here up North. I couldn't tell you, but I, was like, I did not understand the hype, but then on my way back leaving Toronto, I stopped in at a KFC and I had one of the famous, uh, chicken sandwiches. And that was amazing. That was tremendous. And it was like, I really like, I ultimately did not understand the Popeye's hype after experiment, experimenting it myself
1: yeah i mean i can't i can't i can't tell you that your experience is wrong i think uh you maybe you got maybe you went to a, a bad popeyes maybe it could you had, be. maybe you had hiked it up too much maybe you just could didn't be. like it that much um it's it's a ultimately it's a fast food sandwich i think when it comes to fast food no matter how good some people proclaim it's going to be, there's always going to be people
0: where it just hits them poorly. Exactly. So, you know, it could just not be for me. I I can concede that. But I I really don't. I'll tell you the excitement, the excitement of seeing the Popeyes and going in and ordering it did not equate to the excitement I had once I was done eating the sandwich. How about that?
1: All right, so now that we've gotten the mandatory fast food discussion uh, (laughs) out of of the way, um, I wanted to. Warren is here today because we're going to be talking about a topic that is just sweeping up wrestling discourse um, from sea to shining sea. Uh, It is not CM Punk's return to uh, to WWE. Um, It is, in fact, one Maxwell Jacob Friedman, and among certain circles, circles both you and I, Warren, frequent. MJF has become the most polarizing and I would say most scrutinized figure in professional wrestling currently. And I would think if you were to ask a lot of AEW hardcore fans, what is the biggest problem with all elite wrestling right now? They would say, what's going on with MJF? And Mm -hmm. this seems like something, I'll start with this. It, It seems kind of, Uh, it would seem preposterous a year ago to think that MJF would emerge as like a significant problem on AEW's television, right? I think if you were to go back in time a year from now, or or, yeah, a year ago, I should say, and tell people like, oh, MJF, he's going to have a year-long title reign and he's going to be all over the product. I think a lot of people would say, Well, that's a good thing. He's a very talented guy. They need to push someone new forward. Um, That's the kind of thing that that should be happening. But wrestling, obviously, is a funny business. And having now lived that experience for the past year, there seems to be a tremendous amount of frustration from fans. And a lot of it comes down to this current baby-faced run that he's on. In the current portrayal of of the mjf personality which of course is all over aew television and since he's been world champion it is all over the main event picture of aew and it does seem like it's becoming a bigger and bigger problem in terms of some fans not all but some fans getting very frustrated with it and i wanted to know warren kind of where do you stand on the current incarnation of MJF and do you are you surprised to have seen him turn into such a divisive figure as he has
0: um well to answer your last question because i think that's the simplest one i think yes i am i'm very surprised at how uh at how much he has been uh you use the word uh like scrutinized i might even add demonized here because i think there's a lot of people who have a tendency to blame him as well for uh their directions you know there's a lot of talk about the amount of control he wields uh in his creative and uh and uh and how much is you know basically unfiltered right uh just goes straight to straight to uh to to, uh, to television so there's so there is a lot of there there is a lot of uh, concern scrutin is uh, he scrutinized it, but i also think he's he's demonized i think it even goes a little further than that and i out the gate i i love mjf i've always you know since since discovering him really in AEW, i'm not going to sit here and pretend that i was super familiar with his work you know in mlw or or elsewhere um i th- i you know i've always been a fan and i i thought that he he's that he grew into such a a a tremendous uh personality on uh on aw uh you know the way he was introduced as you know cody's friend you know his 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 bud that we all saw you know the 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 the, where we all expected the turn to happen right into what he is today i think i still think that today he is one of the most, if not the most, complete wrestling packages out there. Right? Let's say we step back a little bit from the the Brochacho and the you know the Devil stuff and all of that. Um, MJF is a he is uh, disgustingly charismatic. <laughs> you know, it's like it's it's almost infuriating. Safe, you safe know, leave some for others, pal. Uh, he's a tremendous mic worker. He and. Uh, And despite the fact that he likes to pretend that he, you know, he doesn't like to wrestle or he thinks that work rate is for nerds, he is a tremendous worker at the same time. And we know this because we've seen them turn out multiple times and not just on the work rate level, but on the, the in-ring storytelling, this, you know, for lack of a better term, I know it's the big catch all, but in the psychology aspect of it as well, he understands all of this and he understands it. Because he is a professional wrestling fan. he's a guy who uh, came into the business, having watched tons of tape. he knows this history. he knows what he knows how uh how the business works. so for me, there's really like I'm i I, I, I have difficulty finding someone who is such a who performs on such a high level on every metric i guess wrestling fans look for because you'll you know you'll have wrestlers where you're like oh you know so so in the ring but hot damn is he good on the mic or uh oh man she is a she's a work rate phenomenon you know uh you know or uh she or you you know whatever You, you you get the point here um so so from 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 that aspect the the one thing that baffles me with the, the creative direction MJF decided to go down uh, is astonishing because he has all of the natural God-given tools to not need to uh, delve into this kind of artifice, you know, into these types of uh, of shenanigans where lesser wrestlers, that lesser wrestlers would need to get themselves over. He never needed any of this, if that makes sense. And that's what makes it the most baffling to me. And it's not even a question where I'm like, I hate the guy. You know, I think there's a lot of overreactions that do happen in in, in his regard. I don't hate him, JF. I think he's uh, like right now he's batting. He's not, he doesn't have a great batting average uh, for me personally, but knowing what he can offer knowing that he can be better than what he's doing uh keeps me from completely shutting the door on him when he says i'm better than you and you know i i don't think he under i, I don't think he 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 means it in the way that i'm that that i'm saying it where he's better than what he's doing right now he doesn't need uh he doesn't need the bells and whistles of pre-tapes and goofy skits and uh you know uh uh uh, show long uh uh, uh, show long storylines backstage where he's looking for partners all this stuff he doesn't need it he's so much better than that and he's so much more captivating than that than taking up entire swaths of of wrestling programming with well for lack of a better word nonsense Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, there's a frustrating element in terms of, like you mentioned, he, this is someone who has a rare amount of talent Uh, in the professional wrestling industry, kind of checks every box you would want to have. And you feel like he's kind of dabbling in, like you said, tricks and kind of manipulative things to the audience that a lesser talented person would need to do to make up for mm-hmm. their lack of talents. Um, and we've seen, like, I think when people talk about him kind of being sports entertainment e and WWE-like. I think that's kind of in some some way what they're talking about, right? He's going to try to do this column response thing with the audience to get the audience to chant something, which is something that you would see a lot in WWE, which is something that someone would have to rely on if they weren't themselves a compelling promo. Right. Um,
0: right. Or they didn't have anything interesting to say. And, and and he's one of the, he's really one of the only, when you think about it, one of the only wrestlers in AEW who has, and it's a minute detail, but it goes to your point, that has a catchphrase that he expects the audience to chant along with, right? Because I am Maxwell, Jacob, Fried, and you know, and he he slows down the tempo to make sure everyone can get their stuff in. Like, who else does this in, in AEW, right? But it is a tremendously WWE thing to do. Mm -hmm. Just to your point.
1: And so the the problem is is not necessarily that MJF is bad, but he's engaging in bad work. So this is akin to what I think of like an extremely good and talented actor who's been in many great movies and had many great roles, who is just doing a terrible movie or has Mm -hmm. a terrible script. Um, And it's not... It's not an indictment on their ability as much as it is an indictment on their instincts to recognize what is good and what is bad. Um, and there's some real evidence that you could use that to suggest that MJ that what MjF is doing is not necessarily unproductive. his quarter hours, suggests someone that fans are interested in seeing at a greater degree than pretty much anyone else on the roster the pay-per-view buy numbers have held up pretty strongly with him in the main event some of these programs mm-hmm. he is getting you know some of if not the most uh the loudest reactions in the building when he's in the crowd is engaged when he's out there so you could make a case that while not for everyone the Mjf work and angle, is a uh, is a success from a business perspective, at least. Um, of course, you could also and, argue.
0: Uh, yeah, I think you're. I think you're about to go there. Go well, ahead. yeah,
1: you could. Obvi- and you could also argue that as the face of the company, television ratings have gone down. Uh, live attendance has gone down, and so while maybe he himself in a vacuum is is helping business, you could also argue that kind of the broader implications of putting a character like that as the face of the company has had a negative impact and driven off some fans and i think when Mm -hmm. we talk about the hardcore fan circles the fans who are starting to get really frustrated with AEW, mjf has become the representative of all of those things that they don't like some of which have nothing to do with him they have to do with other things that are going on behind the scenes but since mjf is this very wwe-like performer since he turned babyface and since he's the world champion he is naturally uh, going to assume a lot of that criticism. Uh, and that's not, some of it is not his fault, but it's also not entirely unfair for him to do that mm-hmm. because he is, after all, by far the most pushed person on television.
0: No, I agree. And, and you know, there's 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 stuff, sometimes like uh, there's some reactions that I don't quite get. It's not as if this is taking us completely by surprise in, in this sense. Like, let's not forget, this is a guy who sang pennies from heaven with a full jazz band, right? With a full, you know, uh, he, uh, the dinner debonair, um, his whole first shot at the AEW world title was under the guise of him, you know, candidate Freeman. You remember that? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not as if the, it's not as if the sports entertainment aspect of it, suddenly appears out of nowhere we know he has a proclivity to this how about that um but there's you can also make the counter argument that there's a you know dinner debonair and the you know the 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 kennedy friedman stuff came during the pandemic you know there was the debates and all that came th- during the pandemic where uh, wrestling companies were just struggling to put anything on tv right and just like try stuff to get people engaged and Like I will never shortchange anyone for trying to do something else than back then, you know, than then quote unquote, just matches. Cause look, we saw what new Japan did. Right. Uh, And that was a, an egregiously harsh watch that period was. Um, Whereas maybe sprinkling a little more, uh, 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 a little more of this, aspect of pro wrestling. Maybe it, uh, maybe it helped out in the long run, whatever, you know, but it, it, like, it's, it, it, it should not come as a big shock that MJF would be into this. I think the shock comes from how, like you said, you know, he's the world champions so on and so forth. So how preponderant it is right now, how huge of a place it takes on the show and how, immense the the, the the skits and the storylines are in relation to everything else. You know, even before we get to the conversations about how good a wrestler he is and how he doesn't need them or not, there's the idea of how spanning they are. And look, is he living his, his you know, his... Uh, it, it, hang on, let me rephrase that. Is this an homage to The Rock or, or Steve Austin, Attitude Era, where... where that was essentially it you know austin throughout the show being you know weaved in any different way whether it's mr mcmahon doing stuff uh, until steve austin shows up at the very end for the big pop or the rock or whatever is he doing maybe you know maybe this isn't maybe this is an homage that in a couple of years we're going to look back on and say hmm well done sailor you know but right now within within this environment uh, and especially within the AEW context, which is, I think is very significant. I think this is the thing that's, I, 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 I think it's not as much him doing it, but the reliance uh, uh, the reliance of it that is really, really, um, that is really, really difficult to swallow slash irritating slash frustrating for people.
1: Yeah, I think that when we talk about like, okay, is this an all homage to like, the, the storytelling that took place during the attitude era like i'd be really concerned about that just because i don't i don't know if like we can build an entire character around like an homage to something that worked 25 years ago um you have to be
0: new and innovative i think to, to i agree to, to move it forward uh I, I i maybe it's in the idea of and, I, and i'm just spitballing here right and i, and I don't want to you know we're, we're, we're just throwing ideas around maybe it's maybe the the ultimate idea here is that look people homage wrestlers all the time you know in, in their matches and how they conduct their promos whatnot but especially in matches you know they were, oh this that was a terry funk spot oh you know this is a you know it's a you know in regards to this match between you know that misawa had and so so maybe he's like well why can't we tribute the sport the the entertainment aspect of it does that make sense yeah, Maybe I guess that's I get, part of it.
1: Yeah, I guess if we're talking about like a one-time thing, that's fine. We're talking about like a kind of the overall philosophy behind sure. how you're re- presenting your your top babyface. Um, that would be more problematic going in the long run. I, I think um, I I always knew, um, or at least I thought that MJF was going to be a great babyface. I think even when he was. You know, a year into his AEW career, I think most people thought he's going to be a you know a top babyface one day um, mm-hmm. because of how talented he is and how good of a promo he is, and all it would take would be, you know, you turn him babyface, and you knew the fans wanted will want to cheer for him one day. Um, but it was always going to be kind of difficult to balance his, you know, on-screen personality, which was so naturally healed and make it come across as like this authentic baby face and that ultimately is where i think this character has really struggled in terms of finding that balance he's he's tried to keep it he's tried to keep himself true to his character by doing the oh i'm your scumbag kind of thing and he still you know gets goes for some cheap heat in the ring with the cheating and things like that but it it does feel kind of like a really awkward fit when he's really playing up to the crowd. I'm doing it for you people. You guys believe in me. And when he first started doing that, it was kind of interesting the sense of how sincere is he? When is he going Mm -hmm. to turn on Adam Cole? When is he, when are we going to, you know, find out that he's full of shit and that hasn't happened yet. It doesn't seem likely to happen at this point. It would be kind of a different dynamic if it did happen. Um, and so I do th- I I just think that like babyface MJF has been an awkward transition and has has kind of reduced him into this cartoonish, non-believable role. And that really feels more WWE than anything else. This complete that's... caricature that doesn't talk the way normal people talk, that tries to work into his catchphrases. And that's the kind of babyface that I'm not sure all of AEW's fan base wants
0: to respond to see and and that's that's where i think you 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 nailed it and and i think that's also part of the problem and something that just that connects to to something i had been thinking about uh where you know the the initial um baby face turn you know when when adam cole started chipping at him you know when when you know they they do the promos in the ring and uh and Adam was trying to get him to be a good guy. And I'm not talking about the skits, right? I'm not talking about the, you know, the restaurants and, you know, calling Puff fat and all of that. Um, I'm really talking about like the, 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 you know, when he was starting off, I think there was something tremendously endearing about it and that the audience clasped onto, because I don't think anyone ever expected or thought MJF could be a baby face, right? Because he, you know, he carried the mantle wherever he went. You know, he'd insult eleven-year-old girls, little girls going to see him to sign autographs with his with their with their fathers, telling the fathers, you know, telling the kid, "How old are you? Eleven years old." Eleven, oh, you know, your your father made a tremendous mistake eleven years ago, right? Like, I I don't think that we that 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 we saw MGF as a viable baby face, but There was something about the turn, about the fact that he did come across as being lonely to his own, you know, uh, uh, to his own, uh, uh, um, that's because of his own devices, right? Because, you know, he was a dirtbag to everyone else. Yeah, he wasn't sympathetic. He wasn't sympathetic. But now when he tries to be sympathetic and he's like, yeah, it turns out, man, I have no friends. I'm alone. And Adam Cole's like, I'm gonna be there, you know. But Adam Cole, who is a dirt in it about himself, but okay, let's roll with it here. He's a he's a good guy in this circumstance here. Um I think there was something very endearing with it, and then it transformed into the 80s cartoon uh level baby face, where you and and you nailed it perfectly. When you said, you know, talking in 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 uh in uh in catchphrases and in crowd reactions right that's where i think it it started to slip because if anything i was looking at this in the early stages and i was like this is a guy right now i feel who just wants to flex the idea that he can do it all that he can legitimately do it all you need him as a heel he'll be the best damn heel in in on the on the planet you want him to be a babyface? he's going to be a tremendous baby face like he can do it all and i think that one of the reasons why it worked so well at first out, outside the gate when the you know when they they when they were forced to team up in the uh, eliminator tournament or whatever it was called the, the the tag team tournament i think that was one of the reasons why it worked so well is because he hadn't turned full caricature at that point and now it's it's a little heavy-handed it's a little it's a little uh it's a little heavy-handed it's not as natural it's not as compelling you know it's always weird to talk about authenticity in pro wrestling but there's a lot of wrestlers who are able to pull it off and i feel like in AEW the wrestlers who are able to pull it off are much better well received than those who do put on the airs cuz then you can you can really you, you can smell it you can taste it you can see it and i think that's the problem with MJF right now
1: yeah i want to mention adam cole because i do think that adam cole is like a big part of the problem here and i don't know if it's like adam cole personal creative direction or anything but i do think that the worst of mjf babyface mjf is when he's been associated with adam cole Mm -hmm. i think the backstage skits the dumb nxt 2.0 skits that they were showing um we're terrible uh i think that the whole roger strong who's your real he's not really your friend that whole angle terrible i think the entire the the idea that we are supposed to believe that these two guys are just incredible friends and that is ultimately the the bulk of where the emotion in this story this character is going is that these two guys are amazing friends I don't find it to be believable I find it mm-hmm. to be very fake and phony and I find it to be melodramatic and those are all things that maybe would fly in WWE but they don't fly in AEW um, what,
0: I, yeah and I I think there's I think that's kind of it became as much as it was the, the root of the you know the the baby face turn and where i thought it was good very good um i think the deeper we got into this relationship if you want to call it that way cuz you know i agree with you it does feel off it feels phony inauthentic um i think that uh, if you you know the deeper we went into it the goofier it became it became the the sillier it 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 turned into and that's where that's where you lose it ultimately right That's where you kind of lose the, the 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 charm of it, and where Max becomes Max becomes a caricature. Other, uh, you know, a, a guy who's being a pro wrestler as opposed to just being a pro wrestler. One of the really annoying WWE tropes that
1: they've always done and they continue to do is this whole thing where like these people are a tag team for a brief period of time, then they. Uh, split up, then they do a feud against one another, and they're really melodramatic about like what their relationship was like prior. Michael Cole will be like, you know, so and so, they were like family. He was like a brother to him, and now they can't stand each other. And it always feels mm-hmm. like really fake. And AEW is a promotion that has largely uh, lived off of the idea that a lot of the people on its on its roster are friends friends in real life people that have had decades of professional association with one another yeah lots of um, more like look at like all of these people in AEW. you not only you have tag teams that have been around for for forever whether it's the young bucks who have been tagging forever or ftr who have been tagging forever um you have like the, a group literally called the best friends who are people that have been tagging forever to each other and have been working in some capacity professionally with one another for 20 years? Even people like Jeff Jarrett and, and Jay Lethal have this like decades long relationship, or Eddie Kingston and John Moxley. It's like not only are these guys just, you know, have they interact in AEW, but the audience is aware that these guys go way, way back, right to the, the formative aspects of their career. And so there is all this history. Throughout the AEW roster of how these relationships are represented, and it's really hard to feel any emotional connection to this these two guys who have just been te- teaming up for the last few months. And it's it, it, like right from the get go, the idea was that you were supposed to feel emotionally attached to the friendship between these two guys, and compared to all of the other friendships that we see on AEW television, it's really like a flash in the pan. It doesn't really mean anything. Um, and it makes that whole thing, like, again, feel like a WWE trope. It feels fake. It feels like this, this phony fake, you know, friendship that, you know, eventually one of them is going to turn on the other and Mm. they would probably have to be together for like well over a year or for longer for you to really feel like the eventual split is going to matter because to the standard that AEW has explored personal relationships, this is nothing this is just a couple you know a a brief moment in time as opposed to like say like the elite storyline which we know goes back years and years and years to these guys becoming friends in different companies and it's just it's a totally different it's it's really a mockery of kind of the relationships that we do see in AEW and the fact that it is the top kind of emotional point of the entire product at the moment
0: has been insulting Um, I, I'm, I'm in, I'm in agreement with, with what you're saying. The, the, the idea, the idea of it being, because one thing that, that, like you said, AEW has done really well is focus on the lore of, of wrestling in general. And, you know, there's multiple, uh, multiple instances of, of these, um, like you said, of these, uh of these um, friendships and relationships that go back many years and that, that, that are showcased here. So look, I I think we're sort of coming to a, uh, to a realization here that I, could it be that the, the entire MJF stuff right now that feels so heavy handed and that people are turning on and, and, you know, in some cases are just very, very extremely upset about, I think it's because it's, it doesn't feel sincere and it's weird because when mjf was at his healist heliest was is, is that even a word you know at his worst <laughs> at his at his meanest he was also his most most authentic right even though even in times where he where you knew he was stretching the truth right when when he was uh talking about uh you know, when you know, with the car accident and the you know, moving the girl to the driver's seat and whatnot. You know, you know these things are are not real, but he spoke with such authenticity and reality about it that people called the police department to make sure that you know there hadn't been a report turned in, right? And that's a fantastic. I mean, the old work still the the old work is still the new work in this circumstance. So it it's interesting. In, on that level to see it in that light where when he was a heel, he actually came off more convincing, uh, created a, 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 a deeper connection with the audience rather than relying on on whatever he's doing now on these, uh, on these, uh, the these, these, the bag of tricks, you know, and look, I even wrote an article on voicesofwrestling.com of wrestling.com that you should, Check out if you ever want to do that. uh But months ago, when he was still a heel, when people were getting really mad because of the stuff he was saying and doing and whatnot, I'm like, man, this is what he should do. He wants to be the biggest, baddest guy in in the business. He wants to be the most reviled heel. He wants to get the heat. He wants to get booed out of buildings. Just let him do his thing. And the fact that he is. You know, I always I never understood the the issue that wrestling fans had, where on one hand, wrestling fans back then would say, K is dead, wrestlers, you know, take pictures and with their with other wrestlers they're feuding with and putting them on Instagram, K is dead. But then when one wrestler decides to, you know, maintain appearances, keep the the veil alive as he's on social media and doing meet and greets. And people get mad at him as a war. Who's the fans came out and so on and so forth. And why is he, why is he uh, being a dick online and so on and so forth. But. Isn't it interesting, Jesse, that when he was in this circumstance, when he was doing the heel stick. That he, he felt a lot more authentic than what, whatever he's doing right now. And is that a reflection on him on himself? <laughs> you
1: know? I think like when he was a heel, He was pushing boundaries and he's pushing the limit. And he's coming tiptoeing up to the line and sometimes crossing it. Remember when he drew the he threw like the alcoholic beverage at a little kid? Yeah. Which I still think was hilarious, but yes. Right. But he's pushing the boundaries of what people are comfortable seeing in a way that I think was really good. Like it's impressive and it's how you're gonna discover something new and it's how you're gonna promote yourself new and how you're gonna connect with a with an ever-evolving audience and as a babyface he's very much not doing that he's not pushing any boundaries he's not doing anything new he's kind of doing this whether it's a tribute to the attitude era or 1980s hulk hogan or or whatever he's not he's he's not pushing boundaries anymore he's playing it safe and he's doing something that we've seen for a very long time through a bunch of different wrestlers in wwe in particular And Mm -hmm. that's where I think the, enough. not only is it not authentic, but it also is, is not anywhere close to, to, to kind of the same level of his work as a heel, because he's no longer pushing those boundaries. He's not coming up with anything new to do. Um, you know, he he has a mask right now. He has a masked, you know, rival who we don't know who that is. That's not really a new or innovative idea as a baby face. We've seen this many times before, Mm -hmm. um, we're going to, I guess, I guess we'll eventually find out who that is. And maybe that will go in a new and interesting direction. But at this point, I tend to doubt it. And I think that's a major problem because I think if you're going to be the next generation megastar, which MJF feels better positioned to do than anybody else in wrestling, you've got to be new and innovative and do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, You can't be, as, as a babyface, you can't be reliant on this in a lot of ways outdated representation of a babyface character that also isn't a good fit with what you naturally do well in your kind of natural personality because he's got his natural personality is a heel that's why he's was a heel for pretty much his entire career up until this babyface turn because he was just such a naturally gifted heel mm-hmm. um and, and and ultimately i think and, and he's certainly not the first person who was an excellent heel who struggled to be his baby to be a babyface
0: there, there are plenty of people that are like that in wrestling history. Um, but it, I do. It, it's funny because I, I like, I started to interrupt because I, find, no, it, I find it interesting because the, 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 I find him struggling as a babyface is fairly new. Like, I think it's really since um, Wembley that he's, that he's really dropped off. As I, I, I feel like the, or maybe it was the transition towards the babyface aspect, but I thought there was a time where he was doing tremendous work. Uh, you know, again, let's forget the skits and the the pre tape. What when when I talk about the tremendous work he do, anytime he was on, he was uh, uh, you know in ring cutting an in ring promo, doing a bats back, a backstage promo. I always thought that that work was excellent, as opposed to you know the the, the vignettes or whatnot. But mm-hmm. I, like I feel it's 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 fairly new, and I feel like you know sometimes I feel like you know I raised two kids, okay. Sometimes I feel like he's pushing you. You said you, this is what triggered me was when you talked about uh, pushing boundaries. I feel he's pushing the boundaries of what he's able to do in AEW. if that makes sense. Right. Like from Um, a shoot standpoint. Yeah. You know, like where it's like, you know, Tony gives me all this control. You know, Tony tells me I can do pretty much. Okay. How far can I take this? How much, me can there be on TV. Yeah, like, and if and if and if and if Tony Khan, because look, we're talking about MJF here, but ultimately there's one guy who could put the kibosh on this in a minute if he decided to, and that's the boss. It's Tony Khan. It's his show, he's the booker. So he's letting all of this slide. He's he's stamping it, he's giving it the old thumbs up. So if he if MJF is in a position where he's like, look, you know, I have Some creative rain here. Let's see how far I can go. Like you know, kids, you have to give them boundaries, right? And I'm I'm, and I'm definitely not implying that MJF is a child and he's acting like one. That's but I'm you know it's the you know the closest parallel I have because I've never been a booker. Um, Although some bookers would argue that wrestlers act like children, but I digress. Digress, Jones over here. Um, The you know when you 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 have to give structure to your kids because your kids will push the boundaries of of the structure you create for them. They are going to try stuff. And if you never stop them from doing whatever they're doing, they'll keep going in that direction, positively, negatively, depending on the the action they're doing. You know, if if they enjoy doing piano and you encourage them and you push them in that direction and you're like, yeah, go. And they turn out to be a virtuoso. You know, if they, you know, you catch them smoking, but you never... You know, you never tell them smoking's bad. You shouldn't do that. Or stealing. Well, you know, then you'll have to deal with those consequences, right? So maybe there's a, maybe there's part of what MJF is doing is testing how far he can go as well in the creative uh, uh, space that he's been given, which feels very large and seems to be very large because you know, again, there's you know. Talk about how you know how that he has a lot of control and he doesn't get a lot of pushback. So, uh, uh, you know, again, from my point of view, if you don't get a lot of pushback on your ideas and you you have free reign, well, you're just going to do whatever you want, and you're going to keep trying more and more and doing more and uh uh, uh and, and and focusing on 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 making it even more substantial and overbearing in some circumstances than it was you won't realize it maybe necessarily but you'll be because you're just trying stuff out you're trying to see how far you're able to influence these shows add yourself to these shows does that make sense or am i rambling right now i feel like i rambled a little bit well to kind of play off what i said i think you could you could i guess make an argument
1: like he's experimenting with what he can do and what's going to work and you could counter my argument of you're not pushing the boundary by saying, well, I'm trying different things. And you kind of have to do that if you want to find something new that clicks. Now, I, you know, I would argue that he's not really doing anything new. He's he's, he's doing a rehash of things we've seen babyface characters do for years and years, but perhaps on AEW television, this is uncharted territory. So it's worth investigating. Um, something that I think is, is kind of frustrating for a lot of fans is that this Current babyface version of MJF is it, it's, is to me he's you know can be very hit or miss. Like he still has a lot going for him. I thought that I thought that some of his matches have been really good. I thought some of his promos have been really good. I thought his promo on last night's Dynamite. We're recording this on Thursday afternoon, so this would be the 11:29 Dynamite. His promo kind of talking about Samoa Joe and how important Samoa Joe was as a wrestler and how he's afraid of Samoa Joe. I thought that was very good um mm-hmm. and then at other times he has these rambling long you know promos and adam cole's there and he's doing the call and response with the crowd those that stuff is less appealing to me um, The wwe trauma yeah
0: mm-hmm.
1: he had the you know the all-out match or or the all-in match i'm sorry that was uh you know i think really poorly received and really not the kind of match that i want to see but i think his grand slam match against samoa joe was 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 quite good um, and I mm-hmm. thought his match against Kenny Omega was, was really good. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, he, he's still there. He still has this really high level of performance in him. Um, but there's a lack of consistency. And when in the lows feel really low, especially because his segments are long, they have a lot of time and he's the world champion and he's going to be held to a very, very high standard in that role.
0: Which is fair. And you know, that, you know, that's kind of like what we touched on at this at the start of the, at the start of the show is that he's you know his especially when he was in his heel persona where he you know he he didn't like to wrestle he didn't want to wrestle you know uh you know new japan is in indie all of that he knew what you know like he knows what he's doing at that point right but the thing like you said his his work does speak for itself in multiple circumstances uh you know you rattled off a few matches we can go back and you know just this year talk about uh the you know this—the Ironman match with uh, Danielson, the, the the time limit draw with Adam Cole too with, mm-hmm. on a Dynamite, which was tremendous. Uh, and you know, there's stuff in the past that great match that he had at the um, at uh, um, what was it? Winter is coming last year against Ricky Starks. Like, uh, that's the thing is that his 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 work is it's it's high level and it's there which makes it extremely frustrating that he feels like he has to structure his matches like a Roman's reigns match, a Roman reigns match, excuse me. Right. Roman's matches have, have the, have a, a formula to them. You know, we're, we're at a point now where the ref, we expect the ref bump in MJF matches as well. Just like we do with Roman matches. Right? there's going to be a ref bump and stuff is going to happen. And it's, it's baffling. You know, the, the more we talk about this, the more I'm realizing that I think that the, maybe the subconscious frustration that a lot of people have is exactly due to the fact that MJF is indeed better than the stuff that he's putting out there that he can do better. Now, when, when we're, when we talk about, you know, trying stuff out, like, you know, doing rehashes on, um, you know, do, rehashing stuff from the past today and trying to present it as something new. It isn't jiving, right? But maybe he, and again, we're just talking, right? Maybe he needs to get it out of the system to a degree. Here's the dad talking again, right? You know, send the kids outside to play in the snow so they can Sleep tonight, kind of thing. This is his rebel <laughs> phase. You just gotta let him play it out. Just let. Maybe he needs to get this out of his system. You know, the stuff that he's always watched and 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 loved. Maybe once it's done, he can re, retool whatever he's doing into into the 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 sharp, uh, uh, um, the, the 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 sharp, innovative stuff that we would like to see from them not look not unlike someone who's learning to play guitar and you know starts by playing a uh, smoke on the water you know you, you, you get you know you get your feet wet and everyone knows the, the, the chords and but then eventually you know you start uh diving in you know you have to start there before going into some stevie ray vaughn you know what i mean like maybe this is part of the of the overall process of MJF, maybe in 10 years, we'll look back on this era and we'll be like, yeah, look, this was, maybe we'll be able to look back at this as the, you know, the primordial ooze of ultimately the, the tremendous uh, uh, world shaking run that MJF will have as the dominant force in pro wrestling. Maybe.
1: Yeah. I mean, if I were to look at like the root of this issue, I think a lot of it is people, a lot of people who are hardcore AEW fans or really liked AEW, wanted AEW to succeed a lot. A lot of those people had very, very negative thoughts about WWE. They didn't want AEW to be anything like WWE. They're very highly resistant to any idea that would be similar to an idea WWE would do and while mjf is not the only person involved in aew that maybe has some wwe tendencies since he's the world champion since he's getting the most time on television he ends up being representative of that and that leads to i think a lot of frustrations that maybe sometimes are irrational in terms of the direction of the product and where it's going and what this means and how this is the end of american pro wrestling and and things like that um because there's still plenty of aspects of AEW that are absolutely nothing like wwe um but that i think a lot of the frustration with what mjf is doing now amongst the hardcore fans stems from a real resistance to a wwe-like product and and i don't really blame them because i don't want to see a wwe-like product when i'm watching AEW, and i don't no. think it makes business sense for AEW to go in that direction either um but i do think when we talk about i think some of the real uh, extreme hatred for this MJF character. I think a lot of that stems from this is like what we would see in
0: WWE, and I'm very frustrated that it's happening in AEW. Well, because the premise, because the premise was we're going to be different, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it's funny because I, I feel like some fans feel like some hardcores, like myself, feel like we're making this stuff up, but no, these were. Words from Tony Khan, but from Cody Rhodes, who was saying, "No, we're going to be different. We're going to do things. This the is other, an alternative. Couple, alternative. Yeah, this is what they, it's supposed to be. We're not. We're not making this up. These. What. This is what we were promised during these grassroots campaign campaigns that they were running. You know, the outdoor uh, uh, press press conferences and, and and these get-togethers, these happenings that they were doing to stir up the base and get people excited. These are the kind of things that they were getting us excited about. So." Well, of course we'd be disappointed and I, I understand that and i firmly fall into that camp where i'm i'm petrified of the wweization i guess of aw because uh because there's one product because i i've abandoned ship when it comes to wwe it will never it will it will no longer at least not now and it hasn't for years uh given me what i want out of pro wrestling and i think the the you know the generalized fear of wwe doing so well these days uh having a lot of goodwill behind it uh a lot of positive coverage i think there is an innate fear from aw fans that the brass might hear about about <laughs> about all of this and when i say the brass i mean like you know tony's bosses right the warner brothers discovery executives who might give him a call and say hey Look at how good these guys are doing. How come you're not doing as well and then maybe Tony has to re- feels like he has to retool things to make the bosses happy get a better TV deal I mean that's still not concluded right so there's I think there's a lot of anxiety that exists on that level and but at the same time there it's not pretend anxiety we can point to things <laughs> we can actually point to things that happened on aew we're like no this is you know, a couple of weeks ago that the episode where MJF was looking for a tag team for for uh for three other people to join his uh to 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 do the trios match, the or the eight-man match, I'm sorry, with the bullet club, that was the most WWE episode of AEW I have ever seen. And, and you could tell me, um, you could tell me, you know, Bruce Pritchard produced it, you know, put it all together. And I didn't believe it. Because yeah. and I was even out, you know. I went out there and I said, per, on my end, on, on my spectrum, my little bubble, I said that that is this is the worst episode of Dynamite in in its entire history. Mo, well, but Warren, there was some wrestling. It was no, but the structure, how it felt. I ended that show. I something that had never happened. Me watching AEW, but something that happened frequently with a, with WWE. I would look at my watch and I'd be like, oh my god, there's ten minutes left. I did that, watching AEW, which was a reflex that I had so many times when I was watching Raw every Monday or SmackDown every Thursday slash Friday, whenever. And and for and and to for the show to end and me feeling feeling exactly how I'd feel after a bad episode of Raw, where I'd be like, "Man, I just wasted my time." That is something that I still have that that i that i do not want to feel again so i think that's why this anxiety exists because you can point to moments where these shows happen and i think it's i think it's fair it's fair because it's fair to be anxious and i know some people take it very far and you know people around us jesse who have been very vocal and very angry about the direction but i also think it's fair because and i mentioned it briefly but i'm going to underscore it properly here because this is not what we were promised this is not what we were told this is not how the wrestling fan base was stirred up by uh by going directly to the fans and creating get-together events and you know starcade had a big hand in this as well you know, creating and and deepening these connections that these wrestlers had with fans. We're listening to you. We understand we're going to bring wrestling back to North America, and we're going to do it in a sports-based presentation. We're not going to throw to the back. There's not going to be skits and so on and so forth. I think it's fair for a lot of people to be in panic mode slash angry mode, whatever, because – That's not how they riled us up. It's not what we were promised. And if, um, and, you know, everything changes, right? I think it's also at the same time silly to think that there would not be, uh, that we wouldn't bob and weave here through things and experiment and try and see what sticks. But the more AEW's, The more AEW strays from its original promise, its original concept, I think that's where it creates the most anxiety, the most worry out of its fans uh, and hardcore fans in general because I don't think anyone wants another North... uh, We don't want WWE Junior. We never did. Even when TNA tried to do it, we didn't want that either. We want the, the, the alternative, the competitor has to be different and that's what's compelling that's what that's ultimately i think why it's it's fair to be mad i can't even get mad at the people who are mad if that makes sense
1: yeah and i think there's always been this sense of frustration amongst fans even right from the start when dynamite first started that it wasn't 100 sports-based they did throw to the back they did have interference and stuff like that things that people were sick of in wwe um and that is always going to be one of the challenges with AEW, um, which is not only does the product have to be good, not only does the booking have to be sound and logical for the most part, but you also have to avoid kind of doing any tropes that WWE has done. I thought this is a kind of a minor example, and a lot of people have probably forgotten about it by now, but remember when they AEW did this big reveal about who was going to be you know Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi's tag team partner ended up being Paul White, and mm-hmm. people were were upset about that. And the reason that was because in, I'm sure in Tony's mind, you could easily justify this being a big deal. Paul White hasn't had many matches in AEW. He has uh, he is a recognizable name. He's he's a literal giant of a human being. So he, he it makes sense to kind of have bring him in as a ringer for this babyface tag team like in a vacuum all of that stuff makes him a good candidate to be kind of in that position to that role but the issue Mm -hmm. is Paul White's the last 10 years of Paul White's career have been in part defined by WWE's underwhelming use of him in the sense of he's being positioned as a title challenger that's stale and nobody wants to see him even though he's not stale in AEW even though AEW hasn't constantly positioned him in that way the fact is, that's how fans have viewed Paul White, and it's one of the mistakes that people feel uh WWE has made over 10 years, which was an over-reliance on Paul White and Kane and these veteran challengers that are positioned in the main event that don't really have main event uh interest at this point. Sure. And so and so it was this 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 major critical mistake uh at that point because they're not only So, yeah, the logic is fine. Yeah, I can see why someone would choose Paul White for that role, but he can't because WWE, all your fans watching understand how WWE would have used Paul White and they can't see that again. Even though it's never happened in your company, you can't do something that WWE did. And I could say that about the MJF babyface character. I could say that about other acts on the show. Like even if something seems or feels original or something that hasn't been done in AEW before, if it's a, an annoying trope that a lot of people have gotten annoyed with WWE for doing, you can't do it. Even if it might makes logical sense for you. And that's a, a balance that AEW has defined. You can't just be logical. You can't just have good matches. You have to also be different than WWE if you want to make it. And that's part of the problem with Max's character. You could say Max's huh. character is logical. You can say that his performance is good. But the fact of the matter is, it's very similar, especially with the backstage skits, especially with the fake you know, forced, you know, babyface friendship with him and Adam Cole, um, the tease of the devil, who, who's that going to be? All that stuff is WWE tropes at this point. And a lot of the reason there was room for AEW to grow and exist in the first place was because people were sick of those WWE tropes. And to be doing that on your wrestling program is a mistake. And you have to find ways to produce television content. That's exciting. That's fresh. That's innovative. And it's not relying anything wwe did before especially stuff that wwe had done that had been poorly received um and i think that ultimately is not only with this mjf character but overall some of the major issues i think facing aew especially with its relationship with its fan base um that that are going to need to be addressed and they're probably not going to be solved overnight i think the only way you can really solve them is through Weeks and weeks and months and months of, of consistent, strong booking that strays away from the the vincisms
0: that have kind of inflicted the product, uh, infected the product. Let's play devil's advocate here for a second. How How easy can it be to escape WWE tropes when they have been virtually unopposed on the mainstream for two decades and have permeated the wrestling industry for 40 plus years? oh it's oh. it's definitely a major challenge um and you, you know you know just really quickly like i myself realized that it's it it's difficult but at the same time like we like just we still have not figured out another way to present pro wrestling in you know than how we used to do it back in the late 80s you know when we started getting cable access television you know it, i mean It's still how WWE did it in the early 90s and Nitro. And like, we haven't even changed the formula, right? Big entrance music, lights, fireworks, guy, gal comes down. Like the whole thing is still pretty much the same, even on the basic level of wrestling presentation, you know? Right. Everything is presented the way Nitro was presented. That, That Nitro template
1: is still by far the dominant representation of American pro wrestling. Um, I would say like the way they present wrestling in Mexico and Japan is different. And I would say maybe those are ways
0: you can look at um, a more consistent. um... Yeah. And I, and I'm, and I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, I've had discussions with people who, you know, when bringing up the, you know, people always seem to hyper-focus on the idea of the sports-based presentation being untenable, well, tell that to New Japan, you know. Tell yeah, and, that and, to and, CMLL. They've been doing this for decades. Yeah, uh, and
1: and the, the presentation stuff, you know, having backstage promos, having uh guys come out with a mic in the ring, I, I, that stuff doesn't bother me at all. I know maybe some other people are who are way more sensitive to the WWE stuff. It, it bothers them, um, but I would say, you know, how I would always describe uh AEW. To, to, to people who didn't know what it was, or kind of when someone asked what's the difference between AEW and WWE, I would always say AEW is a promotion that's largely grounded in reality, where the personalities feel relatable and more realistic as opposed to WWE, where the personalities are really over-the-top and exaggerated mm-hmm. and cartoonish. And some people are gonna like the cartoonish, over-the-top exaggeration of personalities. That's the way um that's the way some people prefer wrestling. That's what they, they think of when they think of pro wrestling. That's fine. But some people, and I think the modern way of, of presenting characters, are going to be the more realistic human versions of these people. And the current version of MJF is the over-the-top cartoon babyface character that is much more akin to what you would see on WWE programming, as opposed to uh, a John Moxley, an Eddie Kingston, a Hangman Page even like a CM Punk when he's there, which are much more grounded in reality personas. Um, And that helps the product feel more real. It makes the storylines feel more easily relatable. It makes the characters feel uh, more 21st century. And that's where I ultimately think the biggest strength for AEW is. And that's why it's frustrating to see them lean on something that is the complete opposite of that but it is very difficult right like you said like how difficult is it to to be when wwe has been the dominant you know version of pro wrestling in this country for 20 years and the reality is you know aw has brought in people who are from wwe creatively to Mm -hmm. assist with the product and even people that aren't from wwe or they spent brief periods of time in their career in wwe and are someone like max who's never stepped foot in wwe outside of that like one nxt uh um yes spot where where samoa joe um, shoved him when he was an extra like they're because wwe is the dominant imprint of what professional wrestling is in this country they're gonna the the vince view is gonna uh um impact them and influence them. Sure. I mean, how many indie promoters are there out there that present their product the way WWE does? And those people are never in WWE probably know very little about the backstage workings of WWE, but because that's what people have been seeing on television for 20 plus years with very little competition. That's what, happens it ends up impacting and influencing the product and it's definitely like a super challenge to get away from that especially when you have some people that are going through the product with a um you know a fine tooth comb and saying ah look at this they used they used the term triple threat
0: that's a wwe (laughs) term and i don't like it and uh, to that point you know i it, it makes me think of you know when 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 you're speaking about you know independent independent promotions trying to run like like WWE like again even on that level you could say wouldn't it be much more compelling if you did something different right and it takes me back to uh, when um, when Shimmer was around right when Shimmer was founded uh, back in the day um, the idea was to present women's wrestling in a completely different way than. What WWE was doing, like, could you imagine, uh, like, other otherwise, what what's the What would you do then? You'd run an indie promotion, and you'd have women coming in to do bra and panties matches or evening gown matches or whatnot. No, they were, you know, Prazak and and Allison Danger were like, no, let's we are going to do the complete opposite of what WWE is doing, and you know, the promotion had a tremendous run. Um, and uh and did set the tone for a lot of you know a lot of your favorite women you know, favorite women wrestlers today are were heavily influenced by what happened uh in Shimmer but that's neither here or there and it's a whole other topic um but that I, I think it just goes to the point where just try something different do something else um sometimes the audience thinks it wants something until you show with that, until you show something else, right? It, 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 it's sometimes it's just as basic as that. You don't have to always cater to the most basic, uh, uh um, the, the most basic and contrived ideas. You know, I know data and marketing personas and so on and so forth. I know how that goes and you try to play to those, but challenger brand should be trying something else, right? Remember that the challenger brand, right? They should be trying something else. Yeah, well, I think that there is a trap that people fall into, which is this
1: idea that presenting an alternative can only get you so far. And if you want to take that next level, you inherently have to conform to the industry standard. Um, and I think that's that's at some point you see like AEW jumps out, they get a, they build up a certain hardcore audience of, of loyal fans, but they see themselves kind of hitting a ceiling with those fans say like, how can we connect to those new fans and there's slowly that temptation to be like well what if we do some a little bit more a few more things to appease the WWE audience maybe we can get some of those people to tune in because there's still a million people that are watching uh either raw or smackdown each week that are not watching our product and maybe we can can do that and so they kind of slowly end up uh becoming more similar instead of leaning harder into being an alternative because there's this perception that you can't make it all the way um doing something different and i and i don't believe that that is true um but i i can see where the logic is coming from in that regard and i would hope that eventually aw realized that, that that going in that direction is not going to work um especially like when that. and i do think part of this is when when aw first started ww is in a popularity decline Mm -hmm. um it made again it made sense like why would we copy something that's a losing fans left and right and now that a wwe has seen a lot of really positive growth in their business metrics across the board the idea is okay we got to copy what the hot product is um as opposed to doing the opposite of what a cold product was doing i think that complicates kind of the relationship of what you want to do
0: and and you know the, the 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 overall barometer for success is also very skewed you know I look i know you've talked about it quite a bit on your podcast and on wrestlenomics as well with brandon and you know this idea that you know the concept that because aw isn't doing uh, a million viewers per week on tv is a failure the uh that they're not making as much uh they're not even making a fraction of the money wwe is doing it, you know is a failure when objectively speaking, AEW is a very successful company. Um, So, you know, even the, you know, the, the, the perception of success in and about itself is skewed, especially when you're comparing it to uh, look a a monolithic juggernaut, right? I mean, like there's, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy to, uh, it's kind of crazy to, 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 to say, look, you're you're never going to be as successful as this uh, as this as this company until you do as much money as they do is you know ridiculous and is a plan you know it's, it's an outright failure for everyone. So
1: yeah, I mean, I think sometimes like the comparisons with WWE business, sometimes I even think on wrestling we, we worry we, we there are too many graphs that show WWE and AEW and compare the two of them because they're there they really have no business being compared there's a brief period of time where dynamite was relatively competitive with raw in terms of the 18 to 49 rating mm-hmm. i think that's way more indicative of um you know where how low wwe sank as opposed to how high aw is riding. and what i always tell people i said i said when when aw was beating raw in the key demo wwe was making 13 or 14 times as much revenue as AEW, mm-hmm. and that's still the case now with their you know their ratings are separate it's not like AEW was ever close to toppling wwe and in, in, in terms of, of revenue or anything like that there was just a period of time where where, where ww was very down and AEW was, was getting up there um but the idea that they have to be as successful as wwe w- like what is success for AEW? to me success is only defined by can this product stay with in in a major accessible way to the general public, whether that's being on cable or being on an easily accessible streaming service. And can they um, draw crowds and can they generate enough revenue to be competitive in the free agent market and produce a product that looks uh, of high quality? That's all I really care about from success. I don't care if they... If they're grossing five hundred million dollars or a billion dollars, like I'm not a stockholder, I don't care how much money Tony Khan makes. I just want the product to exist and be successful, and I think most wrestling fans would agree with me, um. And and I do think that you're right. Like when we think about success, like AEW is a phenomenal success. They, you know, had eighty-one thousand tickets distributed for for Wembley Stadium, um. I I I think we'll talk about this more in Wrestlingomics. I think the pre-sales for Wembley Stadium so far, which the number I saw was thirty thousand tickets distributed before the public on sales today. Um, I'd consider that successful. I do, um, <laughs>
0: especially for a show that's like you know I, the, I, the, yeah months.
1: almost yeah. a year from now. You have nothing no matches. announced. Yeah,
0: yeah. So like,
1: um, you know, it, it's it's still it's 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 phenomenally successful it can and and if anything that shows that it can still be successful without leaning on this wwe aspect of the idea Uh that you're going to need to conform to this industry standard to really reach the fans and and i saw that with you know with wembley stadium i i I was looking at some some old things i had written from earlier this year and one of the Mm -hmm. things i wrote about when they first announced the wembley stadium show was we're gonna get all these people that are gonna talk about how they have to bring in X WWE wrestlers and they need to do WWE things because the only way they can sell out this stadium, the only way they can make the show a success is to like make it like WWE would do it because WWE is the only company that really has run a stadium of this size before successfully, um, and AW didn't do that. They stayed true to themselves. You know, for whatever you want to say about that main event, which was not a good match, and it was a WWE-like match, but Adam Cole and MJF were were, you know, AEW characters presented on that programming. We lost Bray and Kenny Omega. The major matches, everything on that show was was still, I would say, a mostly authentic AEW experience, except for the main event. Um, and hey, lo and behold, they, you know, how many tickets do they actually sell? I'm just going to say they distributed eighty thousand tickets, but. It was a phenomenally successful show. And they didn't have to rely on any real WW tropes to get there. They they did in the main event for unexplained reasons, but to as far as promoting the
0: show, they didn't have to do anything more. And getting us there. No, exactly. It just it why why change what brought you to the dance in the first place? You know? And mm-hmm. look, it's been we're going into year five of AEW with you know, that is on a major cable network that is doing hundreds of thousands of pay-per-view buys yes attendance for tv tapings and whatnot is not fantastic but you know i'm old enough to remember when there was competition and i went through the drought and the desire for something else to come up you know and uh to to come up to challenge wwe and maybe it's age maybe it's the experience maybe it's looking back but it is it it is crazy that this company has been able to do what it has done in such a short amount of time uh and it is not only successful it's reassuring so um maybe to bring back to to circle back to another point the anxiety around the changes maybe is a little maybe is probably still again related to well we got this far without needing to uh put it on the nose so hard to drive home the sports entertainment aspect so hard why is it that is at this juncture what is happening right now that we feel we have to pivot when things were legitimately going very well and we're on the we're on the rise i don't know but You know, it's, it's still a tremendous, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. it's a tremendous success at this point. And I think we, you know, we don't need, we don't need it to be anything closer to the market leader. It just needs to continue to be what it is. And I think it's an interesting parallel we can bring directly to Max where Max, I feel is at his most compelling when he is his, when he is at his realist um, as opposed to being, you know, the 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 catchphrase-y baby babyface that he is today.
1: All right. I think that's that's pretty much it. Warren, do you
0: have anything that you want to add or plug? I could plug. <laughs> I can I can plug with the best of them. Um, first of all, thank you very much uh, for having me on again, Jesse, for being in the exclusive twofer club. I'm very honored about that and i love your podcast you you know i love your podcast because you saw my you saw my spotify unwrapped right you saw that right uh i did not see your spotify unwrapped due to my i don't know i don't know where you shared it warren because uh uh, i I, I shared it in our slack you are the you are the fifth most listened podcast by from mr warren hayes excellent thank you so much I, i was fourth for myself that's um, so if you were really
1: higher than four,
0: if, if it was higher than fourth, I would have been like, damn, you're you're, you're listening to it more than me. <laughs> but honestly, thank you so much for having me on again. Uh, I appreciate it. And uh, if anyone listening would like to head on over to uh, either youtube.com slash Mr. Warren Hayes or find the Mr. Warren Hayes show on your favorite audio podcast platform, I'd be very much obliged to have you around. Uh, I cover uh pro wrestling every week on a flagship show and a well hang on that's been trademarked on a mothership no that's been trademarked as well you know just an omnibus podcast how about that uh and i also do separate dynamite and collision reviews. so uh love to have you uh because uh because we're all just one big happy family of pro wrestling fans aren't we
1: yeah and we always get
0: along and we're just no we never
1: get disagreements no ever 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 All right, Warren, thanks, Warren, so much for being on the show. Thanks for all the listeners who've been tuning in. I hope everyone has a safe couple of weeks, and I will talk to you again in the future. Thanks.
0: Hi, I'm Case Lowe, co-host of the Open the Voice Gate podcast. The one question I'm constantly asked when it comes to Dragon Gate is how do I get into the promotion? Well, stop asking and start listening to the Open the Voice Gate podcast released every Wednesday on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. For exclusive news and show reviews, look no further than the leader in Dragon Gate coverage, Open the Voice Gate.